This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. We're delving into whatever interests us. News, not news, it's what affects our lives because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. We're at the Egg Roll Queen Cafe in St. Paul. It's right off Hamlin, around Hoyt, and it's a partnership between Hamlin University professor, author, and political science expert David Schultz and Mai Vang, a young woman born in Laos at a time when her people, the Hmong, were being persecuted and murdered, fallout from the so-called secret war. Now, Mai escaped with her parents to a refugee camp, and eventually the family made their way to the U.S., where Mai attended college, started a software company, and then began making egg rolls, and they're good ladies, they're right? delicious. Delicious. Lots of them. And donating many of them to charitable fundraisers. Because it's a natural progression in a career. Mm-hmm. From right? software to egg rolls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then along the way, she met David Schultz, who egged her on. See what nice. I did there? Well played. <laughs> and asked her if she ever wanted to make a business out of her egg rolls, he would help her with uh, a, you know, a brick-and-mortar location. And here they are in the Egg Roll Queen Cafe. And we should point out, a few years ago, Mai lost her hearing, and it has changed how she communicates, but it hasn't affected her voice as an active community member. So, Mai, tell us a little bit about your journey to the United States. Um, you know, I don't really remember that much. Um, when we come to the U.S., I was like nine years old. So, a little bit, I remember a little bit in Thailand, in the camp, and then we go, then, um, and during that time, I was in school, and that's that's all I could remember in camp. And then when we on our way here, you know, we had to go to another camp, so the big camp. And then you know we had to go through a process, and they put us through another camp. And the other camp is like train everybody how to like be you know how things are working over this country and things like that, how to use a bathroom, and we had to be there for six months or so. And then they would take a plane to the U.S. And we first landing in Wisconsin. Uh, so we come living in Lacrosse for one year because the people that sponsored us was my grandma and my uncle and them. And then after one year, then we moved to Minnesota because that's where my uh, father's like family live. We pretty much live in the east side. I pretty much grew up in the east side most of my life. Now I'm 40. <laughs> when you got here, you went to college and then started a software company. So how how did that come about? Oh yeah, so um, I went to like uh, I went to two college, right? I went to Winona State to post secondary, and then um, afterward, then I went to St. Olive for my four year, and then um, I came out and kind of funny like I never really thought about going to business I mean I thought business are for loser okay <laughs> wow. okay I was young I was like when people talk about business to me I said that's for loser I mean I didn't even know what that is you know and then um but it was a guy in college that changed my mind and um you know he I met him over the internet right I mean you know that time the internet was popular in the chat room so I met him, and then I found love of him, and he's a Navy. I always like people in uniform. I like men in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> and then I met him, 
I want to visit him. He was stationed in San Diego. And then he take me to go meet his parents. And his parents was in, um, in Fresno, right? And then I get to know his parents, and they work hard. Like, they have a full-time job, and after that, they have a house cleaning business. And that they go to cleaning house in the evening, weekend. And I'm like, wow, you know, if I marry him, I want to take care of his parents so they don't have to work so hard. And I always want to become a doctor, a medical doctor. And I was counting the number that I had to be in school, and then when I come out, I had to all that. I'm like, I would never be able to help the family. So I was like, huh, how can I help his family? Maybe I should start a business. So business wasn't a loser thing anymore. <laughs> and my first business was a dating service. I was like, yes, I was like searching through all these things, saying, what's the easiest business and something that you like to do and passion and doesn't come out with a lot of money. And it was dating service. You <laughs> That's know? fascinating. So I, I told my uncle, I like, can you loan me some money? So he went and loaned me about $6,000 to start my dating service. And that dating service, I actually got about like a good 10 couple got married and they start married nowadays. And we are friends, we start friends. But I stopped doing that business because after two years into it, every man that come there want to date me. Oh, I mean, that was like, give me so much headache, right? It's like, I'm trying to match you with love. Oh, they want, they're like in their 40 or 30 and they want to date someone 18 and then they want to date me, you know? And I was just like, okay, so so I quit the business. I saw the business. It wasn't until late, much later, when I met my husband, Chai. He, he's a programmer and I'm like, you know, I want to do something that we both enjoy. You know, I like to sell. I'm more money, finance, and sell. So I went to, I did my master in finance, right? And then in marketing. So I'm a good salesperson. Oh, I think I'm a good salesperson. Easy talking to people. And, um, and I pretty much do selling marketing all my life in, my, in money, of course, finance. And then Chai does... Uh, software so i say well maybe we do something we both like and that's how the software companies come to buy b nice oh, fascinating oh well for all of us though we are so glad you've moved on from software and into egg rolls so all i can say is when did you realize that you had a gift for making these incredible egg rolls and that you could use that gift to help others oh. you know i've been doing egg roll since I was like five or six, you know, like making egg roll at home is a thing that I do. But I tell you guys, I don't really like to, I like to cook, but I don't like to clean. <laughs> we can <laughs> I like really, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. yep. So uh, my family always call me lazy because I would do all the cooking and I say, I have a lot of younger brothers and sister, right? I say, go clean. Yes. So cooking wasn't like something I always like to do. I mean, creative, fun, but I wasn't like, never thought of myself into the business, in like the cooking business, you know? Mm -hmm. Or like, uh, that something was never in my mind. But when I went deaf, right? Then um, that's when, that's like 2014, 13, that's when I started going deaf. I woke up one day and I just couldn't hear anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And the doctor couldn't find the cause. and. They say I just happen to be one of the 1% in the world that just lost their hearing, right? 
and then I'm like, what? Well, there's nothing they could do, right? And then it was like after one year, almost two years, we start owning a lot of money, you know, medical bill. And we start owning a lot of money, and that's when I start doing fundraising to help pay my medical. I don't know, have you ever been in the forest that is so quiet? Okay, if you were just in the same place so quiet for so long, won't you go insane? You know, so I was going insane. Like, I felt so depressed, and because I'm so involved in the community, and I couldn't be involved anymore, nobody's talking to me. Well, they are. They say hi, that's what they say. And then they stop talking to me and things like that because they can't communicate with me, right? But when I start cooking and people like my cooking, like they're like, hey girl, it make me like so happy. And I could think about how, how to improve the egg girl that people enjoy, right? Mm, yeah. And I actually could see myself doing that for a long time. You know, have a small shop, make egg girl all day, you know? So uh, every year we kind of make a commitment. Every year we donate about, oh, like uh, four, we do four benefit for people. It could be anyone, like uh, like someone that just need a hand, mm -hmm. helping hand, or someone like, uh, for example, this Wednesday, uh, like tomorrow, we donate to uh, Johnson High School wrestling. Nice. And I've been making egg roll since Friday. It's like 2,000 egg roll this past Friday until now, you know. So we donate about 300 to 400 egg roll you know, to them, and then after that, then we ask them to how what kind of material costs, you know, so that's what we do. We do about like, last year, we did about, it, talk about money-wise, we did about three to $4,000 contribution of agro. That's you know, amazing. So. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Mai, what advice would you give to someone who might be thinking about making a big change, but might be afraid to do it? I think it's passion, like, what keep you alive, I guess. I mean, you know, when people talk about passion, I don't, they always say do something that you're passionate about. I don't really know if this is something I'm passionate about, but I had to say this helped me stay alive. <laughs> well, you know, as we mentioned, David Schultz is Maya's partner in all of this. So David, how did you meet Maya and why would a professor at Hamlin, you teach all over the world, you know, you write books, you're the go-to guy for the media in town when they're looking for political expertise and you decide to go into business and do the Egg Roll Queen Cafe, why? Okay, first off, I've known my, I don't know how many years, a long time. At, at first, I thought we had met, she was one of my former students. I think I've been teaching too long. She's not one of my former students. Somehow, we met in some type of like community projects or something in St. Mm. Paul many, many years ago. And we just sort of got to know one another. But a few years ago, um, it, um, she, we were conversing back and forth on something. And she said she wanted to get into creating a food truck, you know, like the Egg Roll Queen food truck. Um, and I said, okay, I'd be willing to sort of help you out. So we loaned, but really sort of gave her money, kind of sort of like to seed the project. And as the food truck was starting to develop, my wife and I you know, also said to her that if you ever really want to expand your business mm -hmm. and go beyond the egg roll truck and to do something, you know, let's say more expansive, let us know. So about six months ago, um, late, late, late 2018, um, Maya approaches me and says, well, we'd like to get into more um, um, commercial sales, perhaps eventually for egg rolls. I mean, the amazing story about Maya is that she does all these farmer's markets. She does these um, benefits and so forth. 
She's rolling a thousand egg rolls a day oh by hand. Uh, That's incredible. This is an incredible story. And watching her do it is amazing. And so the idea was to eventually not just do farmers markets, which are seasonal, but to get maybe into what? Maybe restaurant sales, maybe to, to grocery stores and so forth. So the first idea was to say, okay, we're going to buy um, space to put a commercial kitchen in instead. And we're just going to do commercial kitchen. Weren't thinking of retail, coffee shop, or anything like that. Looked around. And, f and, in, and in December, actually November, December of 2018, this place called the Underground Music Cafe up in Falcon Heights, um, we realized it's available. It's a neighborhood coffee shop, been around for about 30 years. And we thought what we could do is acquire this place, the business. It's got an ongoing retail business, um, expand, sell egg rolls along with some other items, and then eventually expand the, the, um, um, the, the kitchen to be able to do what? To do the commercial sales. And it gives me a chance to do something different than just teach. Um, an opportunity um, to, to help be part of a business and grow a business. Because um, in many ways, I view my as as the classic story about all of us as Americans. You know, um, it's the immigrant, it's the refugee who comes to the United States, works hard, um, 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 and and really succeeds. And and the idea of partnering with her to really help her grow, her and her family to grow this business, to me is really exciting. What yeah. a great story and what a great metaphor. Yeah, and we wanted to use my story um, as a bit of a jumping off point into a discussion about the power of women. Yes. Um, so women like Mai, who can make a difference by volunteering in her community, women on a national level who are changing the face of politics, which is, of course, another one of your areas of expertise. Yes. So, of course, we're calling this the year of the woman, or maybe that was 2018. Right. You know, we've been here before. Right. But let's go back to 1992, that year of the woman. And just looking back, did it live up to its promise? What did we learn from that year of the woman? Well, I want to push us even further back. Let's think about sort of three different eras or four different eras of women. The first one starts 1848, the Seneca Falls Declaration uh, back in New York, where women say, what? We should have the right to vote. It eventually culminates in 1920, where women get the right to vote. Um, and that's called sort of first generation feminism. Second generation feminism comes in the 1960s, Betty Friedan, Gloria Steinem, uh, which is now to say, it's not just about the right to vote, it's about equal opportunities in terms of the workplace. Um, and then we started to get into sort of the third generation feminism, which really starts to kick in in the 1990s in a couple of different ways. One, it's about saying that, that feminism is not just about being white and female, but it's about a diversity. It's about being Hmong or being a person of color or being whatever um, in terms of one's sexual orientation. But also in, in 92, it also became the year of the women in terms of politics. Um, it comes right after the Clarence Thomas hearings, um, where for many people, the, the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court hearings, where there are allegations that he had sexually harassed a woman named Anita Hill, that really, really, I'd say, um, um, encouraged or empowered women to run for office. And in 1992, that becomes sort of our, our maybe third or so, gen so generation of feminism, women going off and running for office. And what's really fascinating is that from 92 until 2018, 
it's not a good story is that actually the percentage of women who were in office had actually gone down. Hmm. Uh, um, and you would have think it would have gone up. Right. Um, and so we saw over that period of time, women women not running or, or not feeling like they're welcome um, in, in politics. And then for a variety of reasons, could have been Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, it could have been um, Brett Kavanaugh, the Donald what a, Trump. What a parallel. I mean, uh, history repeating itself with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Ex- exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's a mm-hmm. spooky. Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill, um, Dr. Su- Dr. Susan Ford, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, the, the for those of us who watch these kind of political mm-hmm. events, it was, what's that? What's that Yogi Berra line? Deja vu all over again or something like that. And so what happens is that women um, um, really drove, or rather drove 2018. That I say to to people when I give talks, the single most powerful person in the United States are suburban women. If they show up and they vote, they decide exactly what happens. And if they don't show up and they don't vote, their non-presence also influences what happened. And in 2018, suburban women, um, especially in, let's say, better educated, more affluent districts, congressional districts across the country, drove the election. Um, and, And what's interesting, even though women came out in large percentages, at the end of the day, the percentage of women in Congress is still only about 22%. And yet, I think, let's just think back to 2016. You know, that's the point where a woman was trying to break through that highest glass ceiling, right. as Hillary Clinton called it, <clears throat> excuse me. And she wanted to get into the White House. It didn't happen. So, you know, do you think that it's going to happen anytime soon? It's, it's, it's going to happen. Exactly when, I don't know. Um, could it be in 2020 where we're now seeing what? We have, at, at my best count at this point now, we have Kamala Harris. Um, we have Amy Klobuchar, um, Christine Gillibrand. We have Elizabeth Warren. I mean, this is incredible when you think about it. We have at least four declared women and perhaps maybe more. Um, this, this is pretty significant. And, and all four of them are credible candidates for president of the United States. Credible, but electable? That's a good question here. Now, back in 2016, and this is a question I posed a lot. So going into the 2016 presidential (laughs) election, people thought I was nuts when I asked this question. And I would say in all my talks I was giving, I said, what percentage of the American electorate do you think won't vote for a woman for president? And I said, 30%. And I said, do you think that's too high, too low, or about right? Everybody thought, oh, Schultz, that's way too high. I actually thought I got it too low. I actually still think to this day, and I think this is a sad story, I think there's at least a third of the, the American electorate that still is not ready to vote for a woman for president of the United States. The analogy that I use here is if running for president is a 100-yard dash, women are having to run at least 130 yards. It Aren't we used not, to that? <laughs> it does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. Right, and if, if we want to make it worse, running a 100-yard dash um, in heels. In, in heels. In I was heels. Backwards, say, right. I was gonna, right. backwards in heels. Or as, or as a friend <laughs> mm-hmm. of mine said, in heels and hose right. or yeah. something like that. Um, and, and, but I don't know. I'm curious. Do you think that number is too high, too low, or about right? What do you think? I think it's about right. Yes, yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I will too. concur. You know, yeah. you talked about suburban women, and they have had a lot of power in 2018. Um, let's leave the presidency out of the equation for now. Politicians are having to pay attention to women, right. aren't they? Yes. I mean, and are they? I mean, are there issues out there that used to be, quote, I'm doing air quotes, women's issues that are now just simply issues because the women 
are showing up at the polls. I think it's starting to happen. Now, the way I describe it is, is again, thinking in terms of how politics has changed. If we were having a conversation 25 years ago, and I said to you, how do you think suburban women, especially in places like, let's say, Minnetonka, Minnesota, um, or let us say, was that in Minnesota, you know, more, more affluent in suburbs, how do you think they were voting? And the answer would be, they're Republican. Okay, what's happened over about a quarter century, they've moved away from the Republican Party. Initially, it was on, let's say, reproductive rights issues. But what's happened is that over time, and I call it, um, I call it family security issues. They've moved because what? Um, the, the Republican Party wasn't talking about what? Um, safe schools or education or health care. I mean, I mean for, 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 for many women, you know, the, the, these, are, these, are, these are core issues, caring about their family, um, about health care, all these kind of issues. And, and what's happened is that where the Democrats were successful in 18, was in talking about those issues and saying that that we care about those and what we're starting to see now uh, those issues becoming what more more mainstream talking about again safe schools um, 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 health care issues now the question becomes um, will the Democrats keep talking about those issues will they deliver on them um, and 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 what impact will that have on let's say the Republican Party because one of the other things that we know is that especially after the 2018 election, the gender gap between the Republican and Democratic parties is enormous. And what I mean by the gender gap, the percentage of, of people who are female and voting Democrat um, compared to percentage of the population who's male and voting Democrat is almost a 20-point gap mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and vice versa. So what we're starting to see is what? The... Um, if I can use that phrase here, the feminization of the Democratic Party and the masculization of the Republican Party. Um, and, and this comes as a parallel, or as a peril, I should say, as a peril for the Republicans because in 2018, 52% of the American electorate was female. In Minnesota, it was 54% who were female. And think about it. If women are now the majority voters, 51, 52, 54%, like that, and you ignore women, you do so at your political peril. Mm -hmm. So we've got now some more women on Capitol Hill, as we were just talking about. You know, we're making small strides. But what do you think about some of the women? Um, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. We've got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. Uh, Rashida Tlaib of, of Michigan. They're getting a lot of attention. Um, but are they being effective in, in shaping their party's agenda and the American agenda? Well, that's a good question here. Because I think one of the other things that we started to see in 2016 is that there's also a generational divide for women. Mm -hmm. that, that when Gloria Steinem, when Madeleine Albright, for example, were talking about the importance of electing Hillary Clinton um, as president of the United States, that reflected a generation of women uh, who defined politics as what? As electing a woman president. When I talk to my female students, um, um, it's less important to them that you elect a female to be president of the United States and more important that you elect candidates who support a, 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 a women-friendly agenda. Um, and so you have this generational divide. Um, and I think people, some of the people who are coming up now, some of these new you know, first-year uh, members of Congress, they're, they're speaking to a, a different generation and talking about a different set of politics. Okay, I got to tell you a funny story. All right, I love this story. Back 
in 2016, right before the Minnesota caucuses. Um, and, and in Minnesota, we, you know, we had caucuses where people would show up on caucus night you know, to talk about who they supported. I was talking to one of my college students, you know, female, probably about 23 years old, and I asked her, um, are you, are you going to vote for Hillary Clinton uh, or caucus for Hillary Clinton that night? And she looked at me, and I can't get the inflection of my voice right. She looked at me, she goes, Hillary Clinton. She goes, ah, my grandmother's candidate. Um, um, wow. um, um, I, I, can, I can't get the inflection there the way she had. <laughs> you did quite well, though. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is that, is that we know that this new generation is looking at the world differently, defining feminism in a different way. And so if I've talked about, what, three generations are waves of feminism— we are probably seeing people such as Ilhan Omar, um, um, seeing people such as um, Alexandra you know, Cort- you know, Cortez as representing what? A fourth generation of, of feminism going in a different direction that longer term is going to have, I think, a significant impact on our political process. All right. Thank you, David. And that was a great way to just have us all thinking a little bit about the future. But right now, as always, we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, our final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It is time for our final flight, which means just some quick questions for our guests to get a little taste of what they like. So, David, you travel all over the world teaching. So what is the most underrated country you've been to and why? It's Lithuania, where I've been to six times or seven times, and I love Lithuania. It's a beautiful country. Vilnius is where I'm usually teaching. I'm half Lithuanian. I, I know you are. I know. I wasn't just say, <laughs> I wasn't just saying that because you were there. But no, I, I thoroughly love the country, and I've been there about six or seven times. And the people are wonderful. The architecture is great. And if anybody from here would visit it, it would remind them of what of, of of Wisconsin. It's got kind of the rolling hills, and it's beautiful. Without the Packers. Without the Packers. That's right. <laughs> we like it that way, right? <laughs> Okay, so my, what is the egg roll we must try when we come to Egg Roll Queen, and why? You know, we have about eight different kind of egg roll, and we do, when we make like so, we have pork, chicken, veggie, steak, breakfast, cheesy chicken, and then we had cherry cheesecake dessert. We have strawberry cheesecake, which makes and, my mouth water. Um, <laughs> I don't really know, but I have to say that our most selling egg was still pork. Pork? Yeah, and maybe because everybody knows pork, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. I can attest, but I just tried it. I have a Delicious. customer that always come and order pork, right? For two years, always come and get pork only. And then one day I say, here, I'll give you a, a cheese steak to try, right? 
And then she take it home, and then after that, she only orders steak. <laughs> so I don't know. All right. So, David, back to you. Who is most likely to win a cage match on Capitol Hill? Do you think it would be Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi? Oh, Nancy Pelosi is going to wax Mitch McConnell. <laughs> oh, yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. I, 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 I have watched um, Pelosi, you know, in the first few months of the Trump administration, outplay him like what a great chess match. And I, even though McConnell is very skilled, I think Pelosi uh, is, 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 is playing the game exceedingly well. And she would wax him, your yeah. words. And yeah. with that, this is three women and a bottle of wine. And today we're doing egg rolls. So we want to thank uh, David and Mai and the Egg Roll Queen Cafe for hosting us. Thank you so much. It was amazing. We'll see you next time. Thank you. She is a single mom who just made a very big move. Nicole Mindorf is more than just a financial advisor. She's part relationship counselor, part mentor, boss lady, and full of great advice. Yeah, join us next time as we take our show on the road to Nicole's new building in Minnetonka. We'll learn about when risk can pay off and who she thinks should pay on the first date. Mm. All good informational stuff. Financial advisor Nicole Mittendorf of Prosper Well Financial. She's our next guest on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. Mm-hmm.